The following programme was funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland using the television licence fee. The summer of 69, you stayed at home, if I'm not mistaken, and you won something like six All-Ireland titles, five on the track. That's right, Marty. I had very little experience in running the track. Early on the track season, I ran the county, I suppose, around the Munster. I was actually beaten well in, in, in uh, both the 1500s and the 5000 in the Munster. I know I had a bit of a problem with, with an ankle and uh, one year was a hitting issue, but I stayed below after the Munster Championships. I stayed in ice somewhere, I think it was in Gold in the world. So I turned my way out to um, a born setter by the name of Hefferman. She settled me up anyway, kept me going. So I was supposed to make an effort before the Ireland's came and uh, I was successful in the 1500s and the, the 5000. I turned the tables and the, the guys that had beaten me, you know. So I suppose, um, you know, a success kind of, you know, brings confidence in that and um, kind of took off from there. I won a few more track track championships in before the, the season was out. And by 1970, you must have been recognised nationally as one of Ireland's best middle to long distance uh, athletes. ship was anchored on a bright St. Patrick's Day on the key Alas was sighing for her lover going away in her hand she held an emblem and it's parting were three and her parting words were darling look at these and think of me three leaf charm rock I adore thee your three leaves I'd love Online research brings me to this extract from the Clare Champion website. An insight into what drives an athlete to shine at national and international level was afforded to members of the Clare Association in Dublin and their friends at the weekend. It continues at the association's annual dinner in the Ballsbridge Hotel last Saturday night. Kilkey athlete Willie Keane, who was presented with Clare Person of the Year Award for 2016, explained how being beaten in the All-Ireland Senior Cross-Country Championship in 1973 was a big turning point in his career. He waited exactly 12 months to turn the tables on Mick Priest, training for 30 consecutive days in hail, rain and snow in the month of January to prepare for the next championship race. In March 1974, he regained his title and, in fact, was not beaten again in a championship race until 1980. Roll back the years 12 months to 1973, St. Patrick's Day, and parades coloured the streets across the cities, towns and rural villages of Ireland. A traditional day of celebration to be Irish. Willie, well established now as a leading athlete of his time, will soon be celebrating the birth of his first child. But an international trip of huge significance beckons. 
I'd long to flee When there's bright Rays in Ireland I think we had Randy O'Leary and Senior the previous week or two and uh, we were told we were picked uh, to go on an international trip we were sworn to secrecy that's how it came about, really a lot of us didn't know where we were going but we knew we were going abroad for a race We prepared as best we could, and uh, we all went up uh, in Dublin at a set hotel and uh, carried on from there. Yeah. And one of the people with you at the time was uh, Pat Duffy. Well, Pat was an okay. international secretary at the time, and um, so we arranged to meet Pat. Pat travelled with us, as did uh, Brian Kirk, Port Loudman, and uh, they had everything laid on for us. We've had Duffy here. He's made the, the journey all the way from County Louth down to West Clare. You've, you've seen Willie in the last few years, I believe. I did. I saw Willie about three years, four years ago. What do you call him to see him? It's worth him. I've seen him in many, many years. I was the international secretary, and um, I was involved in athletics many, many, many years. Going way back, and Therefore, my associates, the older associates of mine, would have gone back to the foundation of the association in the 22s, like Denny O'Brien and Jim Killeen. And um, they were still active when I became active, if you know what I mean, in the beginning. They were old men when I was a young man. But nonetheless, the bridge over to me what they were and what, the, you know, what their feelings were and what we were trying to do. It was an athletic organisation per se, but it was also, we were trying to unite the Irish people in sport, you know, rather than, than we weren't political, but we were a sporting organisation. And it, we were born within the GEA. Do you want to explain the grassroots of the, I suppose, the athletics, the GEA? Yes, the GEA were the parent body. They were handling all the sport at that time, tug of war, camogie, athletic cycling. Cycling and athletics became too big for them and they decided to set up an organisation within the GA that would look after cycling and athletics in 22. And Dinny O'Brien from Tipperary went up to Dublin and Jim Killeen cycled from Limerick to Dublin at that time to set up, up to Jones's Road I think they went, to set up the NACA. And the NACA then uh, was the athletic and cycling body in Ireland. Now, this is the 32 counties of Ireland. Although Ireland was partitioned from 22 on, there was no partition in athletics. It was one organisation. Uh, in 28 in Amsterdam, Pat O'Callaghan won the hammer. Bob Tisdale, I think, won the hurdles. That's right, yeah. In 32 in Los Angeles. O'Callaghan won the hammer again and was going for three in a row. And the Brits realised then that every time there was an Irish medal, there was a tricolour that went up on the pole representing the 32 counties of Ireland. So they brought in a motion to enforce what they called political boundaries. Well, imagine the Olympic Council, nobody on the Olympic Council knew what they were talking about, but they had enough votes with the Commonwealth, you know, Australia, New Zealand, and they voted in this boundary rule. And that meant that Pat O'Callaghan could not defend his hammer medals in, in uh, uh, Los Angeles, no, no, in Berlin. Yeah, in 36. He was the throw for the, the win three in a row, the hammer three in a row, and he was denied. Now, he could have gone if he had accepted the king's shilling, but he refused to do that. 
to bend the knee and he was out. So, like always in Ireland's history and on our causes, there were always Irishmen willing to accept uh, our beloved neighbour's world and there was Irishmen north and south both accepted the partition of Ireland in athletics. Billy Morton, for example, Clond of Harrier, Santry Stadium, they, they set up an organisation which at that time was confined to Dublin. They had no athletes outside of Dublin. And we were barred. We are, we, we've never had international competition. And we were by far, and I mean by far the biggest organisation running athletics in Ireland, North and South. We had hundreds of clubs. And then, uh, whether in 67, Willie, yeah. they set up an organisation. They said that they would be pull all the organisations together. And they set up an organisation called the BLE. But like all promises, it was it was full of air. It didn't happen, and we we quickly realised what was happening, you know. And we went back out again, and we reorganised the NACA from scratch again, and we got most of our clubs back, and we were again by far the biggest uh, biggest organisation in the country again, and like public funds, we were getting pittance, you know. We were being ignored, national press television, radio, and governments ignored us. We were a pain in their side. We were a tar in their side, rather than to help us. They'd done everything to impede us. And I was elected then uh, to be the international secretary, <laughs> which was a joke at the time because we didn't have any international competition. And I was sort of given a free hand <laughs> and left to my own devices. So I come up with this idea that we would break the barrier, we would break out of the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland and we would tell the world what the situation was here in the Republic of Ireland. And the only way I could think of doing it was what we done in Ghent, in St. Patrick's Day, 1973. It was the first international world championships, Willie. I didn't realise that until lately. And I picked six men, six great men as it turned out. They really well. Willie Keane, PJ Ward, uh, Oliver Houlihan, Mickey Farley, Mickey Priest, and John O'Brien of Cork. Isn't that the That's six? And I asked a friend of mine, Brian Kirk, to come with me to help me. And he willingly did so. But all of the men, I, I, I didn't believe they would accept what... <laughs> Proposition. Well, they weren't told an awful lot, but they were told they were going on a, on a bit of a mission abroad, and each of them blindly followed. You know, they didn't question. How long did you know Pat at that stage, really? Well, he would know and of me, but he wouldn't know me. No, yeah. well, we would be fringe because I was in that yeah. We used to organise Ross and Hair and then yeah. Willie would come up every year and run in it. And, and that's when he would know of me. I'd be doing the microphone, and he'd know of me, but he yeah. wouldn't know me. So you knew you knew Willie would say when you were asked and you didn't know where you were told you were going, and you yeah, wouldn't. You it. were. Yeah, I knew Brian Kirk uh, personally because I remember going up to Turndog and invited up at one one time to run a road race there. The Peter Duffy Cup. Peter Duffy Cup. I organised that. Was it you organised? Yes. That? And I actually stayed in Brian Kirk's house. Yeah. But it's not everyone that would just take no. up and trust. Yeah, it was a big ordeal for me. I got married in 71, we were expecting our first child, 29th of March, that particular year. So, Why did you go? 
question why wouldn't I go like you know I was uh, representing 32 counties of Ireland that was our aim we knew when we went out I had my green white and gold thing that there like yeah, we had special singlets and um, that singlet was very precious to us and why wouldn't we put that singlet in our back that's why we say with the organisation do you believe a lot, a lot of that went to notice to the general public um, a lot of oh, people wouldn't know it possibly did you know, and, and uh, possibly a lot of the wrong publicity went out afterwards, you know. But that didn't bother us. We felt that we were fighting for a cause, and uh, I suppose you live by your conviction, yeah. you know. So, Pat, you picked your man. and picked uh, the man. I had been on this for about two and a half months. It didn't happen overnight. I might have talked to you in the, at the Ross. Maybe. In Dunlea. Yeah. I just asked you would, you, would you do it? And no questions asked, and all of you said you would. And we sat down and we organised this. I don't know where the money came, we were out of our own pockets. There was no money coming from anybody, I can tell you that. Every man paid his way, every shilling. And, uh, well anyway, the six boys were picked, and they were sworn to secrecy. Nobody knew it, and nobody divulged the word definitely. The right, I picked the right men, I can tell you that. They were great men. And I organised it, and I hired a minibus in Dundalk. It turned out to be a heap of scrap, but I didn't know that at the time. Willie travelled up to Dublin, didn't you, Willie? Yeah, myself and Oliver. And Oliver Houlihan, lovely man. Brown with St Mary's. Yeah. 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 And John O'Brien travelled up. John travelled from Cornwall. And we travelled up, and we went over to Mickey Priest's house. He lives in a place called the Bog of Frayne in the middle of Meath and we picked the rest of the lads up there and we had heard bits of grubbers and his gas cylinder and we headed for the boat. Now we didn't go for the ferry out of Dublin because we thought we might meet some of, of our friends in question marks heading for the same race. So we went out to Dunleary and there was no roll on roll off in Dunleary and the only way on was a crane and they wouldn't take us on in any, but eventually we, we persuaded them we were desperate. So they lifted us on and let the bloody van fall onto the deck of the boat from about eight or ten feet. Didn't help the, the cause, but anyway. We got to England and we drove down, oh God, down through. This is in 73, you know, yeah, we didn't know where we were going. The race was on Saturday, Sunday? Saturday, yeah. Saturday, and you left on, you took Thursday. We left on Thursday, we drove down, we got to Dover, and of course we missed the bloody boat. It was gone. The sailings weren't as frequent then as they are now, so there was no more sailings. So we were advised to go along the coast of Folkestone, and we got a boat there the next morning across to Calais. Was I? Calais. Calais. Yeah. Here we were, in right-hand side driving. <laughs> None of us ever even saw it in our lives, driving on the wrong side of the bloody road. <laughs> and the gearbox in the van was causing Mickey Priest as a mechanic. And I kept saying to Mickey, Mickey's making desperate noise. And Mickey says, as long as it's making noise, Pat, we're doing all right. <laughs> so we stopped. Stopped for a bit of grub. So and along the road, we've, we've made our own grub along the road. and We had our gas bottles. Our gas bottles and all about us. Now this is good preparation for running, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> anyway, we got as far as Ghent, was it? St. Patrick's morning then, wasn't it? It was, yeah. We got into Ghent, we got digs. But there was a kind old lady in the house. And she was thrilled to have the Irish team there, you know. Well, anyway, Mickey Farley discovered his mother had packed a bit of shamrock in the bag. So we all had a bit of shamrock. Head of a mass, and of course the priest spotted the shamrock and blessed us all. And 
welcome to St. Hall. Thanks to the digs and the old lady asses for the shamrock. Could she keep the shamrock because she'd never seen shamrock before? So we give her that. Out we goes into the van with the stack. Van with the stack. We were pushing it up the road and down the road. And this is a couple of hours before the race was due to start. So we went into a garage. We went to two garages, I think. We did the first one, your man here in the world of English. That's right, yeah, I didn't even know what we were talking about. In the world of English. So, we so eventually... We pushed it on and we got another one. We pushed it to another garage. Got to the second garage anyway, same story. Couldn't do nothing about it, so we had to make up our minds. We hired two taxis and abandoned the van and we headed for Warham. It's Warham, Warham. with the name of the small town where the, where the thing was starting. Yeah. And we asked that the taxi driver throw us up to the gate and then we said, ah oh, no, drop us a bit out the road, we run back and get warmed up. And they dropped us off anyway and wished us luck and away with them. And there was people looking at us. <laughs> the boys had overcoats on them and all and sort of... I think Pat disguised himself and, and, and um, had a look around. Oh uh, yeah, that's right. To see what type of numbers the other men yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We sent Mickey Farley. Oh, was it Mickey? Mickey went away. We sent Mickey off to buy a programme. All right. And Mickey came back with the programme and we copied the numbers of the Irish team and Brian Kirk, we had a felt pen and we had paper and all with us. Uh, yeah. And we wrote the numbers with felt pen to correspond to the Irish. Well anyway, we got the numbers and Brian Kirk was rubbing the boys. You saw them there, rubbing their legs, laying on. And there was women and all, look at the, was it? There was sort of houses, wasn't there, where you long? houses, yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of houses where we were and then there was this gap and there was a ditch and the field was behind. I think they were beginning to get a bit suspicious of us. Probably, probably and we then the party was about to happen, and there was more of them appearing at windows. Yeah, they're all up to something. They were up to something, you know. Just before that we had parted, she lived with love in eyes so kind to my an emblem and it's parted leaves where three and her parting words were darling look at these and think of me we decided then the boys were all ready to go and we had a long time to wait because after every race of a presentation, the junior race, the women's race, so eventually we spotted them lining up for the, the senior race. And I went out through the hedge and I saw the bunch of riders coming and I decided we wouldn't go into the race at that stage because they had the full of the field. Now we had, we had fenced across barbed wire through a hedge, down into a gripe, and up a very steep bank, onto the track. And if we had tried to done that, there would have been no room for us to get in, right? So we waited for the second lap. There was four laps. We waited for the second lap, and it had tinder. And we know now the leader of your man, Rod Dixon in New Zealand, and Harara of Spain, and the Finnish fella that eventually won it. And I gave the word to the boys, up you go. So they went up. Now they went out in front of the race, right? 
But the instructions were, do not interfere. interfere. That was the instructions, do not interfere with the race. So they moved to one side and the race passed them and they joined in, right? But it meant that they were up at the front, right? Well, they, they were all up at the front. Yeah. And then they ran out of our sight from where we were standing, you know. And then we got the account from the boys what happened. Now, the account of what happened with the boys is a complete contrast of what was printed in the newspapers. You know, we were told we'd done this, that, and it didn't happen. Now, Willie, you tell him what happened with you in the race. Well, like, you know, we, I wasn't interfering with anybody, and, and um, I'd say I ran trouble free for about a half a mile because um, I said the only hope I have is to try and stay with the leaders because if they come out to stop me, they'll interfere with the leaders. So um, I got a push and uh, was knocked back a little. So uh, we were coming up, I think, to a corner, to a bend. And I saw quite a few officials there. And I said, if I go around this bend now, they'll trap me. So I went down the embankment and up at the other side and joined in again. <laughs> so I think I, I, I got about another half a mile, I'd say. And um, the next thing, uh, it, was, it actually wasn't officials that cut me. It was tracks or the runners, but at that stage, you see, there was more than the officials trying to pull us out. Right. You know, even our own, we call them fellow Irishmen that had ran in junior races prior to that. They were joining in to try and pull us out, and uh, eventually we had to give up. You know. Can you give us a sense of, of how you felt in that few moments before you actually entered the track? I just couldn't get ready to get going, you know, and see how far I'd get, you know. Oh, I had no regrets that actually delighted get the, the opportunity. They were told the job they were going to do then. They knew what their mission was, you know, they were no longer innocent. <laughs> That's right, yeah. They had been told why and where we were going at the later stages then when we got onto the continent they were told what the mission was and each man said yes we're going very apprehensive, you know, there's no doubt about it. I knew we were, we'd be in trouble, but you know, with the cyclists and that, the same situation. Yeah, of course it's the, the NACA, the National Athletic and Cycling, Cycling Association. Association. So we're twin yeah. organisations, the yeah. Cycling and the Athletics. So twin. in the, just to put it into perspective, in the year preceding that, the cyclists had done much the same thing in, oh, in Munich, Munich. Munich Olympics and got well, you saw some desperate write-ups like shame oh, well, on you well of course yeah, yeah. you knew that you were going of to course, get a backlash that's why they were told yeah. to keep them no talk to nobody because they can twist your word you say word to a newspaper or anybody else they can put any twist they like on it so they were all asked not to say and I don't think anybody ever said one solitary word yeah. to a newspaper or anybody else 
Am I correct in saying then you stayed in, in Belgium that night? Or you moved on that we night? We moved on heading for London. But before we left, we got a bad time after the race. Myself and Brian Kirk, we were, we were the point where they would return to. They were told to come back to us. Now five of them came back, but we were missing one man, Mickey Farley. And Mickey Farley was after being arrested. And he was in the paddy wagon with six policemen. And they took him away. And they handed him over to officials or something, didn't That's they? That's right, yeah. They and the officials, no, Willie, Mickey would say nothing to them. Played dumb. They were looking for his passport. And he said, no, I don't, no passport. Eventually they handed him back to the police. Now the police, they let him go. <laughs> and Mickey took to his heel and away. But in the meantime, we were looking, the boys were looking for him. And they had gone back into the lines then, they had gone back into where all the, all the athletes yeah, were right. looking for them. And they got abused and that's where they got hammered. Some of them got very, very badly uh, abused. And uh, who, who, who was on knocked to the ground and kicked? John O'Brien. John O'Brien O'Brien. 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 We won't name anybody, but yeah. we, we could name him, but we won't. We can name the Irishman who give yeah. him a right good kicking on yeah. the ground. So the aftermath was quite horrendous. All yeah. 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 of us were intimidated, you know, yeah. some of us had to run for our safety. That's the, that's the, the, the long and the short of it. Yeah, we were right in the middle of the field, we are getting abuse. Yeah. You know, and, and, and Mickey Priest was injured. We had to semi-carry him. He, ha- he had an injured foot and we ha- he couldn't walk. But we went round into the streets of Warham. And I remember standing at the shop window looking at the television. Pe- there was a television in the window showing the incident that was going on in, in the race, you know. Now, I don't even remember how we got from Warham back to Ghent. Do you know, Willie? We had to get taxis. When, when the race was over, we had to get back to where oh, the van was. We had to get taxis. And then when we got back to where the van was, the van wasn't refixed. So we decided we charged the battery. And to tell you how, what we knew then, the voltage system on the, in the, on the continent is different than the one here. So we put the bat- he put the battery on the charger and it blew up. I mean it blew. I think it broke a window in the garage. And we had no battery, so we had to buy a second hand battery. I thought it was useless. So we had to push the van every time then from there to London. The London County Board of the NACA had a race in Hampstead Heath in London organised and our team was coming and there was teams coming over from Ireland and well you won that, didn't you? I did, yeah. We won the race in Hampstead Heath and Barry McWill took us home, he lived in London, That's right. fed us, and then he had to get us out of London, as I said, we're out of a hill, the van wouldn't go up a hill. So we eventually got us out of London, onto the motorway, and we were heading home, and 30 or 40 miles up the motorway, the gearbox seized, and she flipped over onto our roof. And there we were, I came to, lying on the grass margin, in the middle of the motorway, with a blanket over me. The police had arrived in two Land Rovers, and one of the Land Rovers had a telescopic pole at the end, at the bottom, and up it went with lights on it, traffic lights. That'll tell you, 1973, they were fantastic. They looked after us, and as it turned out, none of us were injured, you know. So a woman in a mini ran into the back of the van and that one of us up turned on the road, she hit us. But eventually they left us at Nottingham train station. For some train station. In Nottingham, know. and we got the, the train to train Hollyhead. Hollyhead, which put... put Put an awful strain on our finances. I think we had to pull in together. Right. Some of us yeah. were running short the money. Money, you know? no money. Yeah, I remember driving back in Dublin because you couldn't, we couldn't book a return ticket at that time from Clare on the train up to Dublin because we didn't know when we were going to be back. 
So all I had was a single ticket. I hadn't the price of a return ticket. You remember you all pulled in together and bought a ticket for me, you know? And that's, uh, Johnny that's Mullen like. picked us up in... He did, Johnny yeah. Mullen picked us up. The van stayed in England, never came home, it was wrecked. But a few months later, mm. we got a letter from the Chief Constable of Nottinghamshire Police. They had examined it, you know, mechanically, and the van was sound, but that the gearbox had seized and there was going to be no legal proceedings against us. It was an accident. Then the, the stuff hit the fan, big time. On the continent on a Sunday at that time, there was no newspaper, I knew that. So it wouldn't hit the paper until Monday. And if the police had seen the headlines on the Monday, they wouldn't have put us on the train, they would have put us in jail. I array this and I array that and raided this and interfered with this, all over the tabloids. And there was all sorts of headlines. Every television, radio station in Belgium and Holland and in France had it on the Monday. And they didn't know, they thought it was, they were being glib, Paddy celebrating St. Patrick's Day, which was, the, this race happened on St. Patrick's Day. It came from an IRA point of view as well. And then they had a chorus here in the paper here and in the doll and everywhere else. And it died down and then they started making the contacts for us and we took off from there. That's it. I don't pet. Looking back, I suppose it's time for reflection and I suppose it's bringing up a lot of um, old memories and you're kind of uprooting the good memories and some kind of things that kind of, I suppose, hurt you in that, like, you know, from that perspective, do you feel that, was there a different bond between you afterwards then oh, compared to what? Yeah. Yeah. I thought, I don't know, whether it was by luck or design, we were the best six men I could possibly have asked. And I did ask other people and I, I, I just, we were dead lucky. They were brilliant. Everything that was asked of them, they'd done, and they would done it willingly. And they knew then, their head was going into a noose at that stage, that they were heading for trouble. And it, we got our share of it. But it was, we haven't spoken about it for the last 45 years. And we're talking about it now. Are you glad you're talking about it now? Not really. I would have liked to die because it did open an awful lot of doors for us. But the door had been shut since again. The door closed. RCB would like to thank Willie Keane and Pat Duffy for their contribution to this documentary. Willie, Born to Run, is presented and produced by James Flanagan. I'm very grateful to Pat Duffy and Willie Keane for speaking to me about their experience in Ghent in 1973. The next episode involves a road trip to Galway to meet up with Lawrence Larkin, holder of 12 All-Ireland medals, former Vice President of the NACA, St John's Clubman and brother-in-law to Willie Keane. This programme was funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland using the television licence fee.